0: Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. In today's episode, I speak to Neil Seaman of Rui. Rui is an innovative company born out of the University of Toronto, which uses a unique method to gather actionable opinion data from the global population. Rui's system, which involves taking advantage of nuances in the World Wide Web's plumbing, not only gives it unusual access to populations in hard to reach geographies like China, but also randomizes its respondents in a way that avoids some of the traps that can be seen in today's more traditional polling industry. I began by asking Neil about Rui's origins.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's a great pleasure to be with you here today, calling in from Toronto. RIWE stands for Real-Time Interactive Worldwide Intelligence, and it grew out of a research unit associated with the University of Toronto, which I ran uh, back in 2008, 2009, 2010, where we were doing two things uh, commissioned by the government there uh, to look at misinformation and disinformation surrounding the H1N1 pandemic. And then also looking at what was then known as as the Arab Spring and predicting the fall of Mubarak in February 2011. And then it grew out of that uh, to become a commercial enterprise today, focused on a variety of things, including measuring violent extremism around the world, uh, working for large multilaterals and universities, measuring the effectiveness of anti-bribery campaigns. And other uh, important campaigns around the world, uh, and then thirdly, for the the finance sector, uh, in a variety of ways, using predictive analytics, the unique trend tracking capabilities uh, to generate alpha.
0: So you were so you were were you a professor at the time at the at this university, and then what happened? The the um, technology reached a point where actually you. The people who asked you realized that you could uh, you, you could create new value in this in this space.
1: Yeah, so it was a, a few things coming together. The first was that my brother and me had for many years been trying to monetize the web address bar of the internet in different ways. It had traditionally been used for uh, advertising, right and still is still is to some limited extent today buying and selling domain properties, digital properties on the web. And that wasn't commercializing very well. And we came up with new ways of commercializing it. And secondly, I I was a little tired of procuring uh, government grants. um, And more fundamentally, uh, some high net worth investors had approached me after I had successfully won the patents. For this, saying that there's a business here, there's a market opportunity, and I learned that I I really enjoy the elemental elements of business. Uh, you know, bringing a team together, raising capital, and generating revenues and profit.
0: Okay, lovely. So let's talk about what Rui is exactly. What is it that you guys do?
1: So we're a global trend tracking predictive analytics company, collecting a unique proprietary stream of opinion and ad message test data from every country of the world, using what we invented, which is now what I invented, which is now referred to as random domain intercept data. And what that is, is as people are navigating on the web and stumble upon a dormant or commercially lapsed hyperlink on any digital content—they can be reweed. They can be introduced. This is a, this is a full screen registered domain and invited to participate in a survey or ad test with very low latency. And what we do is we expose and recruit a representative mirror of the online audience in any region of interest in the world thus far I mean, get, let yeah. me
0: let me just stop you Neil just to drill down on this because it's a thing which I need to I need to get clear on as well so and understanding kind of the way the internet works um, then you have obviously registered d- domains which is you know google or amazon or whoever or, or all the other ones that you travel to um, and then, as I understand it the 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 dark the so called dark web is all the ones which aren 't registered so you, so they're they 're much harder to find but what you 're talking about is the ones which used to be registered and now um, they're so it 's basically someone trying to access a thing which used to be a thing but isn 't anymore, and so it 's a dead end when they search.
1: Uh, that's right. When they search and uh, navigate the web, and the as the digital web has grown on any platform, any device, any browser around the world, every second of every day, the digital content that's lapsed, commercially vacant, uh, increases, right? So uh, as the domain or the commercial property uh, disappears, all of the subdomains associated with that disappear. So... For example, if you have a financial blog that's uh, that's no longer extant, all of the uh, active links associated with that, which may be hyperlinked in other media, um, are 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 vacant as well. And so, when you hit that broken link, uh, you can potentially be reweed. And so, we stopped counting around one point six billion. that's the number of interviewees that have provided us data of value in 229 countries of the world. Um, And we're doing this every second of the day.
0: So it's kind of like a derelict building, which used to be a shop and they've come looking for the shop and they, and you know, there's nothing there now. Why does that make them particularly reweable? Why, why is that? Because it's, because that's a, a place where you've got them, you're standing there in the shop and you can ask them questions. Is that, is that the idea?
1: Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to the Origination's of legacy public polling in sort of the nineteen forties. Um, George Gallup sort of invented the mall intercept survey, right, where you'd be at Macy's, Grand Central Station, and you'd be intercepted randomly uh, as as you tried to walk around the mall, and everyone actually enjoyed and participating in that in that random intercept. What we've done is created that this on a on a global scale, so a global virtual um, Grand Central Station, if you will. Um, and th- what it means is that we've reinvented the interruption process. So we are um, th- we're an inbound survey mechanism and inbound ad uh, test mechanism. So the range of people that are reweed are really diverse, and so. My background uh, is in the public health and the internet. So we used to call these underrepresented groups. In data collection, we call them quiet voices. So most of our survey responses every day in China or in America are predominantly people who are non-habitual survey takers, and they're people who do not uh, post angry posts on Twitter. And what you get therefore is what's often referred when people describe really as the real wisdom of the real online crowds you're not getting those hyper passionate people um, who uh, express their opinions on social media and and the quiet voices are are often the people these days who decide elections uh, around the world they're the people who buy goods uh, around the world and these are the people we need to tap into if we're going to engage in high frequency uh, data collection um, for the financial services community
0: yeah no i I was listening to a uh, a podcast a couple of weeks ago on on 538 as to why potentially the uh the u.s election the polls tend to seem to have for the last two elections seem to have have skewed democrats potentially. And uh, and uh, Nate Silver was saying that potentially one of the reasons is that a Democrats are just are just really chatty. They're just really willing to answer the phone, whereas perhaps for whatever reason, Republicans aren't as connected. Um, and so what Rui would would have in this situation would be a way to um, just get anyone. It sounds like it's it's someone who. Either just mistypes what they're trying to type, or someone who was uh, trying to uh, 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 hit a link which which is out of date or whatever. So it's wonderfully random. Is that is that the point?
1: So the, yes, and it's predominantly the latter. Nate Silver is wrong, however. Um, so the, the the it's a convenient excuse that he's putting forward in terms of this issue around uh, the shy Trump voter or the unwillingness. Of uh, Republicans to answer um, the the survey question that that's just simply wrong and and we've 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 looked into this the um, you can address that problem and many traditional uh, pollsters did that actually quite effectively like Trafalgar Group uh, in the United States by better question design. For example, not inferring that President Trump was going to lose by asking a terrible question, uh, which was, uh, you know, how is his handling of the coronavirus pandemic? So uh, I think that's a misnomer by Mr. Silver. Uh, there's no question that there's an undetected Trump voter, but that can be addressed by better question design. No, the, the, the fundamental reason why the traditional legacy pollsters got it terribly wrong. A much bigger gaffe than in 2016 is they've really succumbed to hubris. Um, the, the the idea and they they they, they misunderstand um, and even in fact in that it, Mr. Silver's observation betrays uh, his lack of understanding of this is that the the fundamental instrument uh, to recruit. Uh, uh respondents. So the fundamental instrument being a voter file database, uh, an online uh, panel of habituated voters, it's just not going to work when your audience of interest is a changing uh, electorate, a changing composition so and this is fundamental science i mean i'm the son of two scientists i was taught very early uh that instrument error is something that you have to be very sensitive to so no matter how clever you are no matter how much you resample uh as they tried to do no, no matter how much you overweight non-college educated whites that were not properly represented in 2016 you're not you're not going to be accurate if your instrument is flawed. So the undetected Trump voter, the shy Republican, those are second order problems. The fundamental problem that Mr. Silver and others uh, seem to be very hesitant to uh, speaking about is the is the instrument error involved. Um, and that's at the core of the problem as to why so much of the art craft of, of polling uh, needs to change. Things like question design, things like big data analytics, these are roles for people involved in, in what's regarded as traditional public polling, but the idea that we can use legacy instruments uh, just is, is not accurate. Um, and, and as soon as you introduce humans into the process, you're going to have error. And I think there's no better example of this than the, um, the ABC. Uh, ABC was very interesting because ABC News, their, their polling tool was, was very poor, uh, that involving a lot of clever people, but their actual prediction site, where people visited the site and made predictions, uh, and, and the data was not, let's just say, played with by humans, that that was much more accurate. So putting Riwi aside... Um, there's a number of other uh, tools uh, machine learning driven AI driven that can be much more accurate uh, and that abandon sort of the hubris of relying on a dated flawed instrument
0: fair enough well the good news for uh, 538 as an example is that if they are if they're a they analyse all the polls and all the data put together. So um, potentially, if if uh, if Rui is the future, then they just have four years to to start integrating um, Rui and its and its ilk into their into their forecasts. So.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I, I mean, it, it, it's a uh, you know one of the things I, I I learned during this election, and I I should emphasise that we got dragged into election work by our finance clients. We we don't you know we don't traditionally do it. Our finance clients were just so historically frustrated with um, the problems associated with public polling. Uh, there were a lot of signals within the, uh, within the capital markets that things were a lot more close than the public polls indicated. You could tell this in various basket of goods indices uh, that it, it was at best a 60-40 Biden edge uh um, we had been saying since early september uh, disconfirming the null hypothesis that it would be a big blue wave consistently except for two moments uh, the, the main moment of course was the the first uh, debate involving uh, uh, president trump and president-elect biden um it, it, so it it was it was so interesting to us i mean the, the biggest area of interest is we, we knew the polls would be off the public polls, but we didn't, we couldn't understand why they were so off. Um, and then now in hindsight, we fundamentally recognize that it's about instrument error, uh, and and that, that the data aggregation is interesting. Uh, what a number of organizations have done uh, aggregation techniques, but if you're just aggregating, uh, you know, legacy polls that all use legacy instruments that are broken, you're actually going to inflame your error. You're not going to reduce it.
0: Rubbish in, rubbish out, as they say in the data business. Um, so coming back to, to Rui and exactly what it does. So you've got someone who has gone down a dial the wrong number on the internet and you've got them and then you can ask them, I think you asked them 10 or 12 questions or, or something like that. They're already there. And you ask them, one of the first things you ask them is, you ask them in order to understand who they are, you ask them, you know, where they're from and, 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 and things like that, so that you can start to get some meaning out of this. Um, and so then, if, if that's correct, do you and then you have, you can ask them anything, depending on uh, what matters to you at that moment, or, or depending on what information they give, how, how does it work?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so we we don't know anything about them coming in except for their uh, location. So because we're built off the architecture of the web, uh, we can geolocate down to a subsidy level on an anonymous basis. So all of our data do not collect any personally identifiable information, which is critical uh, for uh, quality data collection. Uh, and actually, it does relate to elections as well, because respondents increasingly know that if you've given personally identifiable data an email, for example, a telephone number, it can always be retargeted. You can go back to the individual using machine learning uh, techniques, even if it's been de- I- 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 anonymized. So uh, what, what we do is, yes, generally a 14 question low latency instrument uh, and sometimes embedded with uh, a short video as well. Treatment, but um, the 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 and the questions um, uh, around demographics are embedded there as well. We can ask longer surveys uh, by modularizing the survey instrument and breaking it up, and we can also run mini congruent surveys. um, And then response rates vary considerably um, depending on what geography of the world uh, we're running in, uh, um, and depending what the the needs are of our client.
0: So, what you end up with, because this is running the entire time, um, I, I imagine, and it's and it's and it's global. I, one thing which I think is um, particularly impressive is, you know, the, the kind of insight that you can get into somewhere like China, which can be um, hard to uh, to poll potentially from a, from a Western perspective. Um, so, you've got the potential to ask anyone in the world who's who you know anyone who's who's gone the wrong way on the internet in the world, which will be a wonderfully randomized poll, how do the how 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 do the questions get chosen? Do you have clients who've come to you and said, right, we are we want to know what the Chinese the entire Chinese population thinks about such and such a such and such a question. And so for the next week, anyone who answers one of your polls in China for that week basically gets answered those gets asked those 14 questions. Or how do you how do you focus it in that way?
1: Yeah, thank you, uh, Mark. Uh, so good question. So we can vary up the questions at any time. Uh, so we're agile in the field. Uh, so uh, you might have rewe really on rapid response in China or in 23 countries. Um, and then your questions of interest may, may, may change depending on what happens uh, in the world or in that geography of interest. Um, and then sometimes To answer your question, the the client comes in with a question design expertise, or we bring our own question design expertise to the table. What we are expert at is optimizing the questions to ensure that they render elegantly and with low latency on any browser, any device, Um, uh, In the world, we, of course, have been collecting data using our machine uh, in any country of the world for over 10 years. So we understand very quickly when we spread out uh, the continuous survey, say, in your example, in China, we understand immediately whether it's a a representation of the Internet using audience in China, which then we reweight in real time to census. Um, And in China, yes, I mean, we're unique in the world. Um, And we're reaching, very importantly, beyond just the urban centers in in China um, and we're getting all of rural China, which and all of this is increasingly important to the asset management community or the equities community fundamental research, because so much about the Chinese consumer, the Chinese business owner, um, the Chinese investor impacts U.S. equities, impacts FX rates around the world, um, and, and impacts uh, the, the U.S. economy directly as, as well. So those are just some use cases um, as as to how how we can, can leverage Alpha.
0: Okay. And so in terms of the product that Rui provides, um, are we talking – like a traditional polling report, like a, like a company or a, or a government or, or, or somebody, a, a consumer of some sort, a client of some sort has asked you for a report on what a subsection of uh, humanity thinks on a certain thing? Or are we talking um, ongoing flows of data, like raw numbers that are, that are coming um, and you, you kind of subscribe for, you know, how does it work?
1: Yeah, so clients pay for ongoing subscriptions, monthly or annual, uh, and it is the raw data feed, which is coming in continuously. Uh, The the client can access in real time uh, both the raw unweighted and weighted data uh, in various data formats for download, and the data are also curated as well in a dashboard format. Uh, Web based dashboard formats so that automatic calculations of, of statistical significance and crosstabs intra country and across countries and across all variables of interest are automatically delivered um, and potentially ingest, ingested into the client's own data platform. So sometimes, for example, and it, we work with other data platforms around the world that can integrate our data. Sometimes there's essentially the need to normalize the Rewi data field, feed so that it can be combined with whether or not it's weather data or other types of data feeds, uh, because the, the client, the financial firm, may have its own algorithm, a suite of variables uh, that it cares about. So, for example... It may be looking at the Rewee data feed, which is the real wisdom of the real online crowds, and measuring it against the social media feed to determine if they're going in the same way, if they're collinear, about whether, say, a brand is in crisis or whether they're orthogonal, they they depart. And that in and of itself can deliver interesting insights for pairs trading or giving added validation to an investment thesis.
0: So um, can you give an example of a data feed, which someone in the financial markets might receive on a data on a daily basis from Rui, which could directly affect their models and their thinking?
1: Yeah. So uh, we've done a, a fair bit that's public on, for example, high frequency economic data in the United States. That's predictive of a non-farm payrolls data in the United States. So macro indicators. Uh, jobs re layoffs data. We did the work with uh, Cornell University, uh, and, and that was very significant data. Essentially predicting pro- and front running or prefiguring the official U.S. jobs data, suggesting that it was much worse in the summer than had been reported in, in the in the public media, which 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 uh, was was proven correct. Uh, so that's on the macro side. On the micro side what you might want to measure is uh market share uh of of different, you know, co- coffee consumption chains, you know, Starbucks versus Luckin Coffee. We did that, we detected that the Luckin brand uh, prior to its its uh it's a sort of uh, challenges uh, what, what we, we discovered quite early that uh, essentially it was not attracting the market share that was it was presumed to attract. You could be looking at um, the uh, Apple uh, the, or the componentry of Apple and attitudes towards that or um, upgrade models all across China, comparing that to other equities. You could be uh, running pairs trades uh, right now. It's near U.S. Thanksgiving, where there's a lot of purchases of, of gaming technology. So there's a great deal of interest to determine in advance which game is going to be popular um, among uh, different households, one versus the other, and then you can make your bet on um, on that using the ReWe data feed.
0: So to bring this back to the to the nuts and tacks again. Um, what you, how that would work would be, you would be asking, you want to know what uh, non-farm payrolls data is going to be like in America. You're basically going to ask all the people in America who, um, who answer your surveys. Have you got a job? Did you have a job last month? Do you expect to have a job next month and, and do that kind of thing? And then for, for the coffee consumption, you're going to be asking them, did they have a coffee last week, next week, that kind of thing and um i've forgotten your third one but is that is that basically how the how the how the the system works that you work out what you want to what you want to discover and then you um ask those kind of questions uh, obviously that's a bit a bit um you know it's it's not very polished what i just said but is it is it that kind of thing in, in theory
1: uh, mark actually it's quite polished it's exactly that way we we do have internal uh, internal economic researchers um who would generate uh, our our own questions of potential interest Uh, for the purposes of thought leadership, for the purposes of marketing and sales, and and also for the purposes of uh, other uh, financial clients that may wish to understand what we've done historically, such that they can uh, look at that to either buy that or potentially use that and adjust it um, and reframe their questions accordingly.
0: Okay. Um I know uh you've had an interesting year in terms of uh covid so I think um Rui has has come into its own somewhat in terms of filling in the gaps of around uh, the coronavirus data would you mind talking about that a little bit
1: uh, thank you Mark I mean for, so of is, for part of this is born of my own personal passion I I I come from a public health background uh we were born during uh, an earlier pandemic H1N1 uh so as As COVID uh, sort of emerged as as a crisis and increasingly as an endemic one around the world, uh, we were increasingly sensitive to data gaps. And we work with uh, public health researchers, universities around the world. Um, Just just yesterday, we released with 10 universities across North America uh, and media partners uh, measuring the prevalence and change of the mental health challenges on university campuses uh, across North, North America. These are, uh, this is something that which is, is important. Um, the, the essentially the quantification of the mental health impacts of COVID uh, are significant because they have knock-on effects for the economy and of course for people's uh, health. Um, so so th- that's just one data gap. And then of course on the economic side, looking a lot at issues like vaccine hesitancy um, and, and what is triggering that and may change that in different countries around the world. Uh, this is something that we've known about for some time um, and we're trying to figure out the types of messages that may resonate with different communities around um, vaccine hesitancy, which is going to change. I mean, what what we know to be true um, is that the norms and attitudes of your, of your community, what the people in the army often refer to as the command climate, uh, is that which often drives your, your behaviors or, um, you know, having worked in, on Zika, on Ebola, in different parts of the world, we know that trust in one's local public health uh, authorities um, and the messaging from one's local public health authorities can be very powerful. Um, for uptake of of the vaccine and also for economic resilience. So what we're finding now in China and others have found now is that uh, support for the public health infrastructure in China is very high. Um, Things changed in China. There was vaccine hesitancy at one point, and now there's support for taking the vaccine. So we need to learn from other countries. That's a big part of what the Riwi solution is all about different countries at different stages of their own epidemic every country every population every public health regime is different Um, but we are engaged in these uh, in these data gaps and we now have a global pandemic data initiative where we're working with partners in the research community in the corporate community around the world to understand these issues and just on the financial side they are very significant for predicting uh, which equities are going to be resilient which categories subcategories may have just had a momentary lift but will not necessarily endure uh, over the coming months and years
0: so in britain for example one of our one of the things which has been a worry uh has been that people wouldn't be wanting to go and get tested because when you're tested then you are on the government list for needing to quarantine for for well 14 days and then seven days or whatever um and so there was a preference to um potentially or as a fear that people would prefer not to get tested and just to just to brave it out and and you know Um, And so it strikes me that someone like Rui could be quite useful in that situation because perhaps they may not be willing to get tested, but they'd be willing to tell an anonymous poll what their symptoms were um, and you could get more of a real number. Do you you see that kind of thing happening?
1: Yeah, and we are doing that. Um, uh, We have an... now we're running in 16 countries uh we've been running in 16 countries for a, a, a very large healthcare client looking at exactly that uh so we are the, the the random anonymous symptomatology solution um and you need to do that of course on a high frequency basis if you're going to measure change of the sort that you just described um and and because it is changing and changeable and the one thing that we're learning is that the reasons that people are resistant um, to taking a vaccine vary so enormously so the, you know there's a cartooning in, in in particular on social media which I'm increasingly concerned about around um why people are resistant to vaccines this is something that you know we've studied pre-commercialization for a long long time and they're very varied you know there's this sort of perception that it's Extremists on one side, extremists on an extremists on another, uh, you know, suffering from conspiracy theories in terms of why they are resistant to getting tests, to getting vaccines, and that's just false. Uh, there, there are a lot of uh, informed uh, people who are are taking uh, a wide range of indicia and um, let's just say. Um, data to inform their own judgments, um, which which may change over time.
0: Just about vaccines, I can see immediately the, 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 the appeal in that data for a government or for society in, as a whole in terms of wanting to know why people aren't taking vaccines and, and when's it going to happen. Um, And when are we going to hit herd immunity? Is there a more direct, immediate, actionable um, use of that knowledge for for the markets and for a a financial investor?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. And we're seeing it now. So um, as as the new vaccines enter different stages, uh, there's different levels of buoyancy in the market and and reaction. Um, And as the data filter out in terms of the efficacy level, in different cohorts, so for example, the Oxford AstraZeneca data it was very powerful um, in terms of its impact on uh, its efficacy among the elderly. And and it, it, as these data sort of come out, um, that we want to look at the degree to which people are confident in, say, taking a, you know booking a booking a cruise uh, in in twenty twenty two or or. You know, booking travel or engaging in, in different types of activities that are very central to a particular the success of a particular equity and or a category. So digital health, for example, is an area that I historically was very involved in as a researcher, as an investor, and it never took off. But now sort of in the last you know five, six months, it's really taken off. But is that sustainable over time? I don't actually know the answer to that. Um, we're going to need to know whether or not th- this is a permanent change or whether or not people actually do want the, the human touch um, a, a, as as they become more comfortable with the vaccine and with different, uh, different management interventions.
0: So measuring vaccine adversity uh, might be useful or is an important potential data stream when you're trying to forecast 2021 and you're trying to, if, for example, there was higher adversity to vaccines in the UK than there was in France, then potentially you might want to say that France will come out of this sooner than the UK because it'll be easier to get more vaccines and more arms, that kind of thing? Yeah.
1: And then with, yes. And with respect to certain equity categories, so this could be long-term care facilities, private long-term care facilities. uh, This could be um, sort of travel categories, um, a range of categories that are dependent on that, that kind of uh, differential uh, confidence between countries and inside countries among different population groups.
0: Fantastic. Well, it sounds like you've got a busy twenty twenty one ahead of you as you're uh, as you're measuring all this stuff. It's going to be fun.
1: Yes, I mean, at, at, at really, we have an incalculable amount of of things to potentially measure. The challenge is, on the one hand, balancing uh, you know, the, the, like any business, balancing then focusing on the right clients and collaborative clients that we work very closely together, um, with to, to come up and solution architect, uh, uh, answers to their, to their needs, um, while at the same time contributing to the public good. Um, and one of the examples of the public good is our contributions on the mental health side. We're very sensitive now, um, to how data are consumed. So, um, you know, it's one thing to produce data for public good, but sometimes the the data can be uh, consumed by the public in ways that um, may not be accurate. So that's one of the efforts one has to be very sensitive to in just the public production of data.
0: I think maybe you should really the global population and ask them what the best questions to ask are. Maybe that's the solution.
1: You know, it's a great idea. We, 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 we try to intuit that we try to experiment. Um, and, and yeah, um, we, we, one of our many slogans is ask the world. But I think what you're saying is you want to ask the world what to ask the world.
0: <laughs> and, and that's a... It may, it may create a black hole of some sort.
1: It's important. I, I mean, it, it, the derivative answers to that uh, are very important. I mean, when, when you have um, the, the, the right questions to ask, um, the right stories to tell, the right narratives to measure... Are, are, are really important. And sometimes we can collect that through open text data that we can collect on the back end in, in different parts of the world to, to gather, to gather uh, essentially enriched, uh, um, more unstructured data to layer on to our, our structured, um, s- continuous data.
0: Fantastic. Well, Neil, it sounds to me like a very interesting problem to have. So I'm, I'm, I'm rather jealous. But thank you so much. I found this really interesting. And, and thanks very much for, for joining and talking about it today.
1: Hey, thanks, Mark. It's been a real pleasure. I really appreciated the insight and and, and the, the thought on, on these questions. A great discussion. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks very much.